stories are more than documents of a dish. They're compelling little chronicles of the lives of the people who write them, the cultures, the situations, celebrations, and histories behind them. Chefs and other people in the culinary community tend to be passionate about what they do and spurred by a motivating force that drives them. If you scratch the surface, almost all of them have a specific and compelling story. Life, Death, and Dinner asks these food-passionate professionals what it is in their histories, a person, a place, an event, that most motivated them to do what they do with food. Because food is sustenance in more ways than one, and every recipe tells a story. I'm Liza Schoenfein, and this is Life, Death, and Dinner. Lauren Lynch is co-owner of three terrific bars, all on the same block in the Hamilton Heights section of Harlem. The first one, Harlem Public, opened in 2012, three years before a certain Broadway musical by Lin-Manuel Miranda helped make Alexander Hamilton's old hood a hot place to eat, drink, and live. But if the play helped build the buzz, it was Lauren Lynch's watering holes that provided cool, fun places for the community of longtime locals and hip new arrivals to gather together over craft beer and cocktails and delicious bar food. Cut to this week, and the whole world has turned upside down. The coronavirus has affected all of us, and it's hit the hospitality industry hard. I spoke to Lauren two days after the city of New York ordered all restaurants and bars to shut their doors except for delivery and takeout service. So in addition to talking about Lauren's path to opening the pubs, we discussed in an emotional interview conducted via Skype to practice good social distancing how she was dealing with what is undeniably a very scary situation. Hi, Lauren. Welcome. Hi. (laughs) Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. Um, So this is going to be a rather different discussion than it would have been if we had done this a week ago. Um, I feel like the first thing I need to do is acknowledge the particular moment we're in. It's March of 2020, and we've all awakened to this new reality of the coronavirus, um, which is shutting down businesses and regular uh, life, not only here in New York, but around the country and around the world. So while it's affecting all of us, I think it's having such an immediate effect on the hospitality industry because of the closure of restaurants and bars. And I know that that's affecting you. So I'm going to ask you the regular questions that I would normally ask, but I'd also like to talk about how the current situation is affecting your business, how you're responding, how you're trying to meet the needs of your staff and your customers. So I know it's all very new because the order (laughs) just came in a couple days ago. How are you? How are you doing? Uh, surviving. There's like, there's been real breakdown moments for sure. Um, but at the end of the day, um, you know, we have limited information coming to us. We have a certain amount of mandates that have been handed down. Uh, we have a health crisis going on uh, that can't be ignored and shouldn't be ignored. But, um, you know, I have my breakdowns and then I realize that we still have, um, you know, three businesses to try to make it through this shutdown. And um, uh, we have over 40 staff that we have to worry about how um, they're doing. And then just the the all around fallout, um, you know, no no one really knows, even with the coronavirus bill that's come out, um, you know, no one really knows uh, exactly 
uh, how to move forward because, you know, it wasn't a bunch of restaurateurs that wrote it. So, <laughs> right. Um, it was a, right. a bunch of, um, politicians who did their best, I guess. And, uh, there's just going to be, that's why there's going to be multiple versions and things of clarity are just going to have to continue to be refined. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So you, you said you're, you have three businesses, so let's start by um, talking about what they are. Um, I know that your first bar was Harlem public and um, when I moved to Hamilton Heights, the Hamilton Heights neighborhood of Harlem, which is where where your places are, uh, in that was 2011. And my ex-husband Mark used to say, "There isn't even an old man bar around here." <laughs> I mean, there was no place to get a drink. And then within a few months, we noticed construction on Broadway and 149th Street. And lo and behold, it was a fantastic new tavern called Harlem Public. Did it open in 2011 or 2012? Uh, Harlem Public opened in September of 2012. Um, we we started it in 2011 and we definitely you know social media was really just starting um to take off in the restaurant industry and uh i was very fortunate that my partners were really up on social media um we were looking i was looking recently at posts from back then and if you had one like two likes <laughs> by five likes it was a lot and the whole landscape of social media has really um been been good in a lot of ways uh for for restaurants and getting people out there and exploring new things trying new things so mm-hmm. um yep 2012 <laughs> all right and then to tell people what the other businesses are so so first there was Harlem Public, and then you opened right next door. You opened at the Wallace, and then in 2016 the Honeywell, and they're all on the same street on Broadway between 148th and 149th. Yeah. Mhm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So can Harlem you, Public can, is like our our. Uh, I mean, it was like a beer bar, although beer sales in general have gone down completely um, as people steer more towards liquor. But Harlem Public's like our our burger and beer bar with kitschy cocktails. And then mm-hmm. we opened up at the Wallace right next door to be more of a bar since Harlem Public got a lot of notoriety for its food. Um, so we, we created that old man bar for your ex-husband, Mark. <laughs> uh-huh. and, uh, and it's a kind of a sport, sports theme a little bit. Yeah, it's a little bit of everything, right? So you go there on Sunday to watch football, but you go there on Thursday to watch RuPaul's Drag Race and drag queens perform. Uh, We have a very, as you know, we have a very eclectic neighborhood. um, And at the Wallace is kind of like become the melting pot for um, a lot of different people. So it can be a sports bar and a a gay bar with drag shows all at the same time. That's awesome. Um, and then the Honeywell. Yeah. I adore. So, yeah. The Honeywell was the Honeywell. We wouldn't have opened when we started eight years ago. Um, Cause when you're doing any kind of high end cocktails and when you're limiting the amount of seats that you have within a business uh, so that it's not crowded or loud, you have to, you know, you have to char- charge a certain amount of money. So I don't think eight or nine years ago, the neighborhood was really ready for something like that. But over time, as we got more and more uh, people saying, you know, 
Harlem Public and at the Wallace are too crowded and too loud. We wanted to create a bar where you could go on a date or you could go with your girlfriends and catch up and you could hear each other and you could make a reservation and you're not getting bumped or hit on or whatever else goes right. on on a Friday night. So that was our, our alternative. Um, and then the, the kind of seventies kitschy theme just, just happened later. Everything else it is was decided first. <laughs> so funny. It's such a, the theme is so great. I've described it to people as it's sort of like the best possible version of your grandparents' rec room, basement rec room or something. Um, I just, how, how would you describe it? Uh, yeah, I think that we always say when we're designing our bars that we don't want things to feel contrived. Like they have to feel authentic mm-hmm. and you know, when we, when we built Harlem public, I think we were a little too scared to go out of the box at all. Um, we just kind of recreated something that we would enjoy hanging out in Williamsburg or something like that. But what then when it came time for at the Wallace, we realized that all this back and forth and agonizing over every detail didn't really matter. So, you know, if I wanted to take my dad's National Geographic collection and plaster it on all of our soffits, no one cared. And, you know, if we wanted to go to Ohio and get a bowling alley top for our bar, uh, bowling lane top, no one, you know, it's just kind of like, sure, whatever you want to do, because what really matters is like the food and and the drink. Um, but when it com- came time for the Honeywell, uh, it was we really wanted it. I think what resonates with people at the Wallace is how nostalgic so many things are. Um, older, like some eighties type throwbacks, eighties and nineties, maybe. So if we were going to dive a little bit deeper in history, it had to feel real. And, you know, a lot of people say it's seventies because of the music and everything, but really it's, it's authentic because it's, it's like anyone's house where it's not like, bam, you redo your house in 1975 and that's it. I mean, maybe somebody, (laughs) but it's really just layers upon layers that, you know, mm-hmm. your, your great aunt or your grandma or whatever have collected through 50 decades. Right. And that's why all those little, like, nostalgic things speak to different people. Um, uh-huh. And I think that was really important for us. Like, I'm like, this one, you know, the kitchen looks like a combination of my mom's kitchen and my grandma's kitchen. And I moshed them together and made, you know, the Honeywell kitchen, stuff like yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. It's great. And the bathroom has that poster of Tom Selleck. Tom Selleck. I was yeah. going to say David Hasselhoff, and then I stopped myself. It was Tom Selleck. It's so great. Yeah, we've yeah. been wanting them because, you know, they do a lot of filming for his show. And we were like, look, we've got the poster already. <laughs> like, I, if I could have Tom Selleck next to that poster. Um, but, you know, that was a, that was a decision, too, because... We were thinking about doing, you know, we have some Playboy stuff and whatever. We were thinking about going in that direction. And I think just being a female owner and more of like the Me Too stuff starting to crop up just made me like think about it more, made us all think about it more. And I'm like, let's just get this giant poster of Tom Selleck instead and Frank Zappa (laughs) on the other side. (laughs) Yeah, it works. It definitely works. Thank you. Um, So. 
a couple of things um, that I wanted to address just based on what you've been talking about. So you keep saying we, but we haven't talked about your partners. Um, so I'd love to hear just how you got involved in this, how you decided to start this. You had a whole other career starting, right? You had gone to school to be, you had gotten a master's in education. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. And you were actually a teacher? Uh, yeah, very briefly. <laughs> um, you know, something just didn't sit right because as much as I love teaching and, um, you know, I use that degree all the time. It's, it certainly wasn't lost on me. Um, but the idea of kind of reporting to a classroom every day and, um, the idea of kind of having that many people to answer to like department heads and, you know, your 30, your 30 parents and <laughs> your, um, <laughs> no offense, uh, <laughs> the, the principal, taken. the administration, the government. And it was just, I mean, not like it's changing in the restaurant industry, but at the time I was very much like, I, I love these kids, but I don't want, I feel like I'm just answering to everybody all the time. And it felt very restrictive. Um, maybe it's just where I was, but it just wasn't for me. And I knew it deep down inside that it wasn't for me. So um, I always knew I could go back to it. Who knows? Yep. Maybe I'll have to go back to it at this point. Um, but, uh, you know, I wanted to, I always wanted to do something in business and I just wasn't ready to settle down at that point either. So. Got um, it. And so yeah. how did it, did you, um, end up starting the bars? So, um, I was getting my master's at SUNY Albany when, uh, I met my first partner. Uh, I randomly was living with his now wife. We met through roommates.com cause I didn't have any friends up there. They all <laughs> left Albany and, uh, she needed a roommate. So, um, actually the first day that we all met was, um, she needed to get the key. So she came to West Milford, New Jersey, where I grew up. And we used to have like these mini Havasu boat parties cause it's the largest private lake in New Jersey. So, mm. uh, they, they pulled up alongside the lake. We had about 11 boats tied up and I came up on a jet ski and was <laughs> like, get on, we're going <laughs> to, like, oh, we just need the key. I'm like, no, 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 you're coming. You're coming with us. So I picked up her and her boyfriend at the time. They hung out with my friends and I all day and we just became really good friends after that. And, uh, you know, her boyfriend always wanted to own a bar and he ended up going on to manage some of her uncle's bars. And then he opened a bar in the Bronx and then this opportunity came along and, uh, and he kind of tapped me and said, you know, are you ready to, to do this? So that's uh that's how it happened and then was that Jay or Chad so that's Jay okay um and then uh Chad and Jay had met in uh in the Bronx Ch Chad worked in the kitchen in the Bronx and I knew Chad from uh Bronx Ale House as well and I can still remember one night that we were all it was like one of the first times I met Chad and we were kind of drunk at the Bronx sale house. And he's like, I keep telling Jay, we should open up a bar in my neighborhood in West Harlem. And he's, he's like, he's interested, but you know, there's nothing to do. There's no places to go. 
there's like a couple little restaurants that people are crowding mm-hmm. around a four seat bar. And I just, I was living in Boston at the time working for Wayfair as a buyer. And I'm just like, you should do it. You should go to Jay and you should make it happen. And at the same time, I'm like, is Harlem safe? Mm. (laughs) This is probably 14 or 15 years ago now. But um, yeah, so later on when he tapped Jay to start coming down and checking out the neighborhood and Jay lived in Harlem by then too, um, they, they realized that there was a good opportunity and there really was no place to go. While there are other places for people to go, most of them were you know, mom and pop shops and amazing Mexican food, amazing Dominican mm-hmm. food, but there wasn't really a bar scene, uh, in the neighborhood anymore. So, um, they just saw the opportunity and asked me if I wanted to join. So, oh, <laughs> uh, that's, and it's amazing that you were in a position and ready to do that. Um, the question that I ask everybody, the life, death, and dinner question is what do you think? from your background, from your history, is there any, was there any motivating factor that you think might have led you in the direction of doing this? Like a situation, a person in your history, um, uh, you know, anything that, that really spurred you or that you can think of that sort of brought you where you are today? Right. So, I mean, I love that Steve Jobs uh, inauguration speech where he talks about connecting the dots in reverse and how much easier it is. So Mm -hmm. where I am today as a person and as a business owner, um, I can, I can trace back. I can see how teaching has impacted that. I can see how, you know, being a buyer has impacted that restaurants grow, you know, always, always working in restaurants my whole life on top of school. Um, but the, the single thing, you know, I was living in Boston. I came home to be a caretaker. Um, <laughs> oh, I know this is a, this is a sad story. I'm so sorry. You know, it's okay. I just think everything's so raw right now, you know, I know. But anyway, so I came home to be a caretaker for my grandparents and because my parents were sick too. So then my grandparents were both sick and then my mom was diagnosed. Oh, that is impossibly hard. Um, the the but, reason that I do this, I don't want to in- interrupt you, but I want to give you a moment if you, if you want one. Um, the reason that I do this, it started life. I don't know if you know this, but I started life, death and dinner. Um, as a book that I was working on, I started it when my mom was diagnosed with, um, cancer and it started and the, and I'm still working on this book. Um, it was kind of how I cooked my way through it and how I put one step in, you know, one foot in front of the other, um, and kind of used food both as a way of gathering my family uh, and and also sort of therapeutically um, and and just kind of as a record of every meal that we had together in that year, that last year of her life. And so it's I I I'm interested in this question with, with for other people. And that's why I'm doing the podcast, because I've been writing about it from my view for so long, working on this this project, this life, death and dinner project. And it occurred to me that 
people have these stories and that so, so many people have, have a reason. And I think food people in particular are very, very passionate and people who want to feed people and gather people and that there's often something there, but I, yours is particularly intense. Yeah. Um, I know sometimes we get so good at, um, just telling our story, like, you know, like you can't get this emotional all the time. No, <laughs> you know, we can't, well, can't sit a- there and break down behind the bar and tell somebody this story when they're like, how did this end up? How did you end up here? But, um, you know, and I think partly it's this week. I mean, we're all oh, scared yeah. and we're all freaked out. And, um, we're, and as you say, it's a very raw, it's a very raw moment. Yeah. Well, anyway, so thank you for sharing with me. I did not know that story about you and I think it's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me personally, you know, I, I left Boston. I was actually planning to move to Arizona for another job. And I left Boston because while I was in Arizona, I found out one, that my sister was having twins, which was great. And two, that, um, my mom, uh, was diagnosed with cancer and she was taking care of my grandparents at the time. So I decided that there was no point in me moving across the country I'd already left my other job because I knew I would just be coming back and they didn't, I didn't have enough vacation time or, you know, sick leave or anything offered to me either. So, um, so I came and I moved in with my grandparents in September of 2010. Um, and we lost my grandfather in January. I was with him till the end and my grandmother in May, who I was also Mm -hmm. with at the end, which is, a really amazing thing and really impactful on your life. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, basically within 11 months, we lost both my grandparents, both my mom's sisters. Oh my, um, God. my mom had, it was in remission and my father was diagnosed in March of 2011. And it's just, beyond yeah so yeah so it was it was a lot and basically I didn't know what I was doing with my life once I wasn't caring for my grandparents and taking my parents to on chemo dates and Mm -hmm. whatever Mm -hmm. all these doctor's appointments and that's kind of when the idea of opening a bar and restaurant um came up again uh from my partner my now partner Jay and Mm -hmm. uh and it was just like you know, there was, I didn't, I didn't mind settling down. Like I had mind as a teacher at this point, cause I knew my parents were sick. I wasn't going to leave them. Right. So moving to New York only an hour away from my parents was okay. Um, and I think that just going through all of that really removed my fear of failure. And I'd wanted to open up a bar restaurant for a long time. And I talked about it for a long time. But I think I was just too scared of failing. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's not life and death. Failure is not life and death. It doesn't feel good. It's hard to recover from it. Um, there's an element of shame. But that all just kind of went away when you realize, mm-hmm. you know, I'm 29. Uh, 
my at the time I was 29 when we opened. Uh, my father passed away two months to the day um, before we opened. Oh. Yeah, so that was really what what pushed me to do this instead of just talking about doing it or thinking about doing it or wanting to do it. Um, you know, and that's like, even right now with everything being so hard, I'm just like, I'm like, it's not life and death. Like, fortunately right. I have my health, but I know what life and death looks like. And, um, mm-hmm. for me right now in this moment, for some people, it truly is for me, it's not. So I have to right. just motivate and keep getting through it and, and figure out, you know, take it day by day and do our best to, to plan to mitigate the storm and plan for the future. So absolutely. There really is something about loss I found that makes, at least for myself, it was a way of, I, I really learned through loss and, um, you know, various losses, um, that you kind of have to just live in this moment. I mean, it's been the most helpful thing and that you only have this moment. So I don't know, it sounds like maybe a little bit of you saying, I'm going to take this leap and open this business. Um, because as you say, it's not life and death, but also we just have this moment. So do what you really want to do. Yeah. I think, I think that things with loss, um, become very real um, obviously, uh, you know, being 29, opening up this place, but at the same time being like, if, if I only live to be as old as my dad, I'm almost halfway through my life. So yeah, I think that that's how old was your dad? Uh, 62. He was 62. So my, my dad died in his fifties and I'm almost there where he is, where he was. Um, and I, I actually have been experiencing that kind of thought as well as you approach the age that you're, but you're nowhere near the age where your dad was, but, um, I'm, I'm 53 and my dad was 56. Um, it's a very powerful, very scary feelings. Um, yeah, I, I could definitely, I can remember my grandfather, all, he had three brothers, all three of them passed away. Um, by the time they were 50 and so like, and he ended up living to, I think, I think it was 82 and every year we'd be sitting around this giant dining room table and he'd be like, well, next year when I'm not here, <laughs> like he just really, he oh. did so much in his life. He did a lot in his life. And I think of it now and I'm like, he probably saw that and was just motivated. Like he didn't know how much time he had on this earth and um you know you you want your impact on this world to be whether you want it to be wide or deep you want it to be something um and yes. yeah that's so that didn't I, we just joked about it as we were growing up but like looking back at it now I'm like that's really I bet what motivated him all those years I wish I could ask him mm-hmm. you're probably right I kind of wanted to, I'm trying to think if I can ask you something that's not as heavy, but I was going to talk to you about the whole, the restaurant scene in New York, which is, 
clearly nothing compared to what we were just talking about. So why don't I, I guess, switch gears and, and ask you um, about what's been going on now more recently. So as of two days ago, restaurants and bars in New York have been closed in response to the coronavirus. And so... I'm sure it's too early to know how it will affect your business, but how are you, what, what, what had to happen over the last couple of days? How did, you know, you've talked to your staff, you're, are you setting up delivery? Um, how, how are you handling it? Um, well, first of all, it's, you know, I could have canceled this today and I think that talking about these things as hard as it is, is, you know, I told my therapist this earlier that it's, it's really important. Mental health is really important right now. Um, and I'm not someone who as difficult it might be sometimes wants to shy away from having like the hard conversations. I went through a lot of my life saying, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm worrying about everybody else. And that catches you at Mm -hmm. some point. So, um, you know, I am, fine to talk about all these things. Yeah. Um, it has been, it has been really, uh, it's been a really rough week, uh, for so many different reasons, um, to do with the coronavirus. Um, and you know, it's kind of, you kind of have to like let it hit and feel the emotion that you're going to feel. And of course, emotions all string together. So, you know, the loss of my father, then I get divorced and it's like tying two losses together. So you're double down grieving. And now, you know, I'm talking about losing my staff and losing my businesses. So like they, everything becomes super raw because all those losses string together. Right. Um, you too. And it's it still all brings the same emotion. Um, and uh, yeah, so basically, two of our bar restaurants are closed down um, at, since Sunday, uh, and that would be the Honeywell and at the Wallace. And then uh, Harlem Public, we we closed down at eight o'clock on Monday, uh, and. We were just doing, we've been doing to-go orders. I think we did to-go all day Monday and all day Tuesday. And now, as of yesterday, we're doing delivery through Relay, um, which has been great. They've been, you know, our our neighborhood has been pestering us to do uh, delivery for eight mm-hmm. years now. So that's a positive to come yeah. out of this. Uh, that, and, and, you know, the one thing about my partners and I is, uh, we really do a good job of banding together, uh, being creative. Uh, we always say to each other, like we have ideas, we'll, we'll talk through them, but we'll let anybody try something once and, and maybe it will go great and maybe it'll be Mm -hmm. a flop, but you know, we won't know until we try. So, um, you know, I kind of have a running list going right now of ideas, uh, you know, I have ideas for how the business can survive, ideas mm-hmm. for how to mitigate costs uh, for the other two that aren't operating. Um, I've reached out to, you know, landlords, insurance brokers, or insur- our insurance companies, um, every service 
that we use that we can go without and just doing everything we can to get through this. Um, we, we have, as of yesterday, uh, yesterday was an extremely hard day. We let go of about 80% of our staff. Um, and you know, right before this, we had had a fire at Harlem public. So, uh, Mm. we were already out 10 days. And so now they're all collect, hopefully collecting. Um, we gave them all the resources. We keep sending them additional resources for, mm-hmm. um, you know, the, the Bartenders Guild or the New York Restaurant Association, uh, these different nonprofits that are bonding together to try to help uh, uh, keep restaurant workers afloat. Um, mm-hmm. But at, as hard as it is, you know, I'm not sitting here taking any money right now. Uh, none of us are. It's all about getting through this so that we can open our doors again and mm-hmm. re-employ uh, people uh, is is our main focus right now because we don't know how long this will last. Right. Well, we'll all. I'm sure that everyone in the neighborhood will come flooding back as soon as uh, as soon as you do open your doors. Um, and it sounds like you have a very, your approach sounds, you know, absolutely as I would expect it to be from, you know, what, knowing you, um, <laughs> just very organized and, and caring and, um, you're doing everything that you can. And it's, it's very interesting to hear what you're doing. Cause I think that people don't know what goes into it, um, who aren't in the restaurant business. So, um, but it sounds like, well, we can only hope that this won't take, won't last that long and, and that we'll, we'll be back in your incredible bars and restaurants, (laughs) um, very soon. We we need them. Um, well, I think, I think that that's all I'm going to ask you right now. Um, this has been a lot and I really, really appreciate you opening up and, and taking the time on this, on this crazy week. And, um, it's been really great talking to you. Yeah. It's been great talking to you too, Liza. Thank you so much, Lauren. Yeah. Thank you. Let me know if you need me to, uh, <laughs> repeat any lines in between my tears. <laughs> oh, I will. I'm around. I will. <laughs> oh, uh, all right. So thank much. you so much. I'll talk to you soon. Uh, okay. Take care of yourself. Yeah. You Bye. too. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Hey listeners, thanks for checking out the Life, Death, and Dinner podcast, where I ask culinary professionals what in their histories motivated them to do what they do with food. To read about my motivation behind Life, Death, and Dinner, and to check out my recipes and stories, go to lifedeathanddinner.com.